What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Final Four is Not on the Schedule. He is Rod, I am Cameron, and next up on the schedule we have Rutgers on the road in Piscataway, New Jersey. Um, this one's 4 p.m. tip time. Uh, and Rod, you look at the at Rutgers schedule or, or record: 12 and 9 overall, 6 and 5 in the conference. Um, that is a little misleading when you look at some of their dig a little deeper into their numbers. They've really kind of fallen apart this year. Uh, 103 overall in Ken Palm, uh, 112 in the net, uh, and their offense has just been terrible. 193 on offense, second to last in the Big Ten, uh, and they still still have a, a fairly solid defense though. 48. Yeah, you know normally. You would you would think a team that was sitting at six and five in the Big Ten and actually has one marquee win. You know, let, let's not forget they did beat Purdue. Yeah, um, would be in position where certainly in early February you would say, well, they've still got a lot to play for. You know, they they could they could be a tournament team if if they win enough the right games and things break the right way. But not the case. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you hate to say that anything is over until it's over in this world, but uh, I can pretty much assure you that there's virtually nothing short of maybe winning every game they've got left to yeah. get into the tournament. I'm not even sure if that would do it. Uh, yeah, just they, they're, they're so far behind. And, and that's the, the thing. Their remaining schedule, Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Illinois, Purdue, Michigan, Wisconsin, Indiana, and then finally they get Penn State. Yeah. I mean, that's not a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That too. But even, if, you know, it's, you could say, well, the opportunities are there to win some meaningful games and that's true, but I just won. What's the likelihood of it? Not, not all that great that they're going to win many of those. Uh, and then even if they did go on a streak, I mean, if they, if they finished say 12 and eight, you know, mm-hmm. they went, uh, what would that be? That would be, um, uh, six and six and three from here. Right. Uh, which I don't think they're going to do, but let's just say they did. Normally a team goes 12 and eight in the big 10, you know, that, that team, that team is going to the tournament, you know, 19 years out of 20. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't happen with this team. They just that net, that net number tells you everything you need to know. They are just when you're sitting outside the top 100. I mean, you can you could say a team in early February that's sitting, say in the low 60s, maybe maybe has a chance if they really go on a run mm-hmm. and can get themselves, you know, into position where maybe they're in the low to mid 40s, and then you've got a you know, you've at least got a puncher's chance, depending upon how other things stack up. But where they are, 113, 
in the net? Yeah, yeah, there's no chance. I mean, it's over. And and that's largely because they had a terrible non-conference. Their record wasn't good, and they didn't really play anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, they, the Seton Hall, and that's really about it. But they lost, they lost some games that, you know, were just killers. And, again, you know, other than Purdue, their Big Ten record thus far has not been compiled against the best of the best. They've got a lot of those games left to play, as you just noted. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's unfortunate and maybe not shocking, but a little bit surprising to me because, look, they had some personnel losses. I mean, they lost Miles Johnson, transferred to UCLA. Jacob Young transferred to Oregon. So they had a couple guys who could have come. Montez Mathis left. Yeah. They had some guys who would have been big parts of their teams the last two years where they were pretty good. They would have made the tournament two years ago if there had been one, and then last year they did. Um, but they still brought enough guys back. I mean, Ron Harper Jr.'s back. Geo Baker came back for a fifth year. Mulcahy's back. They have a, a Omarui in his, his sophomore year. Um, you know, a lot of guys, McConnell. Yeah. A lot of guys who played a lot of basketball came back. And I wasn't certain that they were going to be a tournament team, but I thought they would be in better shape than they are today to get there. And I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised, you know, the biggest thing we'll go through in a second, but the biggest thing to me is even in the worst Pico years, you say, okay, they can't shoot the ball worth a damn, but at least they offensive rebound. They, they kind of keep turnovers to a minimum. They don't do anything well this year on offense. I mean, there is no saving grace. There's just the best they are in any area is mediocre. And in most, they're worse than that. So that's really been the killer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting to me because, you know, my my thing on Peichel when he got the job was I really liked the way he built the program because he started out by establishing a standard and a style of play. Like right away when he got there, they defended and they rebounded. They couldn't throw the ball in the ocean, but they did those two things, right? Mm-hmm. And and so the my theory was, as he recruits better and gets better talent, the offense is going to improve because he's going to bring in guys who can make plays offensively, and that's when they'll take off. Well, that is kind of what happened. If you look at Rutgers the two years prior, they weren't great offensively, but they were better than they had been. Mm-hmm. And... And what's happened, I think, is that the offense has regressed back to the bad, the worst of the bad old days. But the things that used to kind of salvage them and make them a tough opponent, even when they weren't very talented, the defense and the rebounding is not there to the same level. Even the defense, they're okay. It's a lot better than the offense, but they're at number 48. So they're barely hanging yeah. on the top 50. He had defenses that were top 20-ish. Yeah, 14 just last year. Yeah, there you go. So it's been a total regression, and yeah, it's it's hard to understand because even when I started looking at some of these guys individually, like we're not having terrible years, some of them. Mm-hmm. It's just it's hard to understand, but the facts are the facts. They're having a rough year. Yeah. And offense, I mean, the biggest thing that stands out is just the shooting across the board. Um, 32.9% from three, which is yeah. 211. Um, 
279th in the country in two, so even worse. And even their free throw shooting uh, is 70%, good for 212th in the country. Right. But like I said, there's no saving grace here. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've they struggled with the three, which they this program has never been, under Pico has never been particularly great shooting shooting the three. That has not been a strength. But, yeah, it's bad this year. One thing they lost, it wasn't like Miles Johnson was a 20-point-a-night guy, but he was a player who you could throw the ball into the post and get buckets at times. And although Omarui is having a nice year, a really good year in some ways, um, he's not that kind of player. So they don't have that post option that they've had in the past. And I think that's hurt them from two. And, and their guards don't, you know, last year, Jacob Young was a guy who could penetrate they don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And the disappointing thing, I mean, 116th in offensive rebounding and 104 in turnover percentage. They were seventh in the country last year in turnover percentage. And that's just that's, falling off a cliff. That's what I mean. And with so many guys back that were part of it, not everybody, but a lot. Mm-hmm. All the all their starters, all five of their starters, were guys playing significant roles or starting in their rotation last year. So it's not like, you know, they had to clear the roster and hey, we're starting over with a fresh bunch of guys. It's not that scenario. So why they've seen this kind of regression is really hard for me to understand. And the offensive rebounding, it's like that rebounding was the staple mm-hmm. of this program early on in Pico's tenure, and it's just gone. They just don't rebound the way they did. I mean, we're close. Mm-hmm. Again, hard for me to understand, but you stack all this stuff up and you, and you start to see why their offense struggles. Uh, so the defense is a little better, um, but they're 32 in the country against twos. And 53 yeah. again in block percentage. Yeah, and, and that, you know, those two things often go hand in hand. If you could protect the rim, oftentimes that also means you're going to be pretty good against twos because you're, you're making things difficult for opponents to, to finish at the rim. But, you know, I, I think this year's team is very much, if I, the way I look at it, it's a function of how they do things stylistically. So they're good against twos because they're they're packing things in. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that has made them very vulnerable to threes. They give up a lot of attempts and they give up a lot of makes. And you know, against certain kinds of opponents like the one they're going to see on Saturday, that can be a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do you think uh, if they were packing it in so much, they'd be a little bit better defensive <laughs> rebounding? But they're one ten yep. in that too. Yep, I know, I know. It's hard. It's hard to grasp. I mean, the one thing you could say is that they're playing Harper a lot at the four. And so they are a little small, but they they did that a lot in the past, too. That's not an entirely new thing. Harper's played a lot of four. So I I don't ascribe it just to that. And they've got a lot of size they can play off their bench. Mm -hmm. So they have options if that was the issue. And and it's just, yeah, they just don't. They've gone backward to doing all the things poorly that they used to do poorly, but the things they used to do well, they're not doing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in terms of a pace of play, 
they're a little bit faster on offense, 158. Defense is just incredibly slow, 347. Yeah, so what that tells you is that they're they're at least forcing teams to use a lot of clock. Also means they don't give up a lot in transition. But the flip side to that is because their defensive efficiency is is only okay, it's not great. That does tell you they're giving up a lot of stuff late in late clock situations, relatively late. Mm-hmm. Um, so they haven't been able to close possessions off, you know, but they are forcing teams to take a long time to get a shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then bench minutes, 261, which isn't a lot, but, but they spread it around quite a bit. They got, I, normally we stop at like most teams. It's like five guys max that mm-hmm. we're talking about. I think I've got 12 on yeah. the list, you know, kind of the starters, and it's because even in recent games, it's been unpredictable as to who's going to play. They're playing a lot of people, but very few of them are getting substantial minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that to me, and I, I've certainly seen Rutgers play enough this year, but I, I, I'm not dialed in enough to know this for sure. But I, what that says to me is you've got a coach who's searching. Mm-hmm. He's searching for the right combination, the right rotation, and hasn't found it yet. If you went back and looked at Michigan State's patterns last year, there was some of that, right? Yeah. Where guys would be playing. I mean, that was A.J. Hogarth's season, as I recall, where he might have one game where he'd play 18 minutes and another he'd play five. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and there was a lot. He wasn't the only one. There was a lot of that. And it's because they just couldn't find answers until they got late in the season. So... Yeah, it's we'll, we'll see we'll see the bench. I don't know for sure who, and it won't be for a ton of minutes. They do ride their starters a decent amount, not to the extremes that teams like Minnesota do, but you know enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll we'll see who it is that gets those bench minutes because it, it has been unpredictable. Uh, so for starters, uh, Geo Baker, six three super senior in his fifth year, averaging eleven point six points a game, thirty eight, thirty two, and seventy six, uh, and he leads them in assists four to about one and a half turnovers. So that's much better in assist game. in assist ratio. He leads them, and he's second in assists overall. Mm. Yeah, that's you know that that has been uh, that's a sign of improvement. He's not the primary point guard. That's Mulcahy, but the fact that he's got a pretty good ratio going has really minimized the turnovers on a team that's kind of struggled with them at times. That is a sign of growth. But Geo Baker is a dangerous player to go against. Mm-hmm. And the reason he's dangerous is uh, it corresponds to the reason he hasn't. he's not a guy that I would call a good or great player. His shot selection has from the moment he got there been a problem in my opinion he's Mm -hmm. always kind of just been a guy who struggles to understand uh score and situation and or or just what constitutes a good shot he'll let fly at any time and it's not like he goes out there and takes 25 shots a night but the shots he does take i've never found to be consistently in rhythm and where you look at his whole performance over a game and say, you know what? He enforced anything. He forces a lot of stuff. And that's, I think a big part of the reason why he's shooting what he is from three 
and he's never really gotten over that hump, despite the fact that at times he could hurt you from out there. And that's why I say he's a dangerous player because he is the kind of guy that can get on a roll and over 40 minutes on a particular day might do enough to really hurt you. Mm-hmm. But he's going to take questionable shots. So the, the, the issue is, is he going to make more of those than he deserves or is he going to get what he actually merits? And, you know, that's that's the deal with him. But he's a, he's a talented kid. He's just never quite pulled the whole thing together. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't really hurt Michigan State too badly over his career. It seems like they've you know, he's getting these big games against other people at least. Yeah. <laughs> but he, yeah. he there are times it, but they they've defended him pretty well out there. Yeah, they have. But but again, you know, with a guy who takes weird shots you know, you do have to be worried about it because it could just be the day that he yeah. gets enough of them to hurt you. Yeah. You know? Uh, and then McKay, he, uh, 6'6 junior, uh, 5.1 assists per game, uh, averaging just a little over two turnovers, um, but 40% from the floor, 30% from 379 from the line um, at eight points a game. You know, I really like him, and I've, I've been a fan of his. In fact, I was a proponent last year. I said that I felt they wouldn't really unlock their absolute best offensively until they decided to just give him the ball, which they did at times last year. Jacob Young had a good first half, and then he kind of tanked in the second. Mm-hmm. Um, but Mulcahy has always been a guy I've liked because he's ultra-competitive. He has great court vision, passer's instincts, um, he may legitimately is a guy who makes plays for other people. And over his first two years, he shot. Okay. This year, the problem's been that he hasn't been able to hit the jumper with any kind of consistency, mm-hmm. um, still making plays for people. And he still hustles. He plays hard, but maybe hasn't had quite the year offensively that they'd hoped. Yeah. Uh, and then Caleb McConnell, six, six senior, um, kind of a, a a favorite of Peichel, um, averaging 6.4 points a game and 4.9 rebounds. Uh, but the shooting's been a struggle, 36, 27, and 68 from the floor. Yeah, you know, he's a guy Peichel's always liked because he's versatile. He, he could do a lot of things decently. And so you start thinking about, well, what could that be in a best-case scenario? The trouble is, at least offensively, Caleb McConnell's never put it together enough to really make good on that. This is mm-hmm. one area you can really see where Rutgers struggles. Most teams, most good teams at least, have a guy who's a scoring threat as a three-man. You know, Michigan State, you could you probably, I guess you would, if you were forced to choose, you'd say Gabe Brown mm-hmm. is the three. Uh, Purdue, it's probably Jaden Ivey. Um, you know, Ohio State has their freshman. Branham has really come on lately. Um you know, Wisconsin, Johnny Davis, you know, I'm naming the better teams in the league and they've all got guys who to varying degrees are legitimate scoring threats. Rutgers is rolling out a guy who doesn't score very well. Mm-hmm. He's never been a consistent jump shooter. Um, hasn't been able to do other things well enough to overcome that. And I think it's a limiter on Rutgers offense. You know, he's, he's a guy who plays hard. He's a pretty good defensive player individually, in my opinion. 
Um, and, and again, he sort of looks the part where you look at him and say, well, this is a guy who looks like he can do a bunch of different things, but he just never seems to do at least the offensive part of the equation, do enough to overcome his, his limitations. Mm. Uh, and then Ron Harper Jr., 6'6", senior, 15.8 points a game, three, six, or 6.3 rebounds, 43 from the floor, 42 from three, and 80 from the line. Yeah, he's had quietly a really good year individually. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's those are great numbers, and they're the best of his career. You know, last year he got up to a really hot start shooting threes, and then he just bottomed out. He ended up, I think, 30 or 31% from wow. three, which he'd always been. That was kind of the last missing piece for him. He said, boy, if he could ever get consistency with a jumper, he would really be something as, a, as an offensive player. Well, this year he's found it. I mean, 42%, that's pretty good. And it's not on low volume. Mm-hmm. We know he's always been a tough cover, uh, even before he could consistently hit the three, because he's got a good handle. He's a little more athletic than you'd think looking at him, because he, he doesn't have the stereotypical you know, basketball player body. Yeah. But, but he's more athletic than you think, and that body also tends to work in his favor when he gets around the rim because he's just stronger than a lot of guys who are are guarding him. Mm -hmm. So I've always been a fan and he's found, you know, he's found his shot. So then the question is, well, why aren't more people talking about him? And, and that's because obviously there are guys have better, even better years and his team has not been great. But I, I think what it really comes down to is despite how good he's been, Rutgers needs needed him to be even better. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to shoot a higher percentage. I mean, mostly they need him to take more shots. He only averages what I think I had it there, like 12 Whoa. shots a game. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous for that guy on this team that is handicapped offensively already. Ron Harper should be taking minimum. I would say 18 to 20 shots a night, but when you watch them play, you understand it because he doesn't, go and demand the ball and they don't really seem much of the time at least to funnel things through him and i've never been able to figure out why but i've noticed it this year it's been more glaring because he's been the guy who's actually delivered and my thinking watching it is why aren't you going through him every single possession (laughs) this is a guy who is so far and above everybody else on your roster in terms of ability to score efficiently run things through him and they just don't they will go possession after possession after possession where not only is he not getting shots he might not get touches and it's weird i don't understand it because hmm. he is legitimately having a very good season yeah uh and then cliff omaruri 610 sophomore who's uh, had a nice sophomore season 11.1 points per game 58 percent from the floor 69 at the line and leads them in rebounding 8.2 and a block a little over a block a game. I think the only one criticism would be, I think they thought he might be an even better rim protector. It's decent, but I, I think they thought he was a guy maybe with his wingspan and the way he plays. I, I thought there was a chance he'd be in the upper tier of shot blockers and he hasn't been, he's been good. He hasn't been great. Uh, not a lot to dislike. I mean, he's made real strides from a freshman season that, he got he had some injury trouble 
that set him back. Mm-hmm. Miles Johnson was playing at him, so he didn't have a clear path to, you know, consistently big minutes. Uh, but he's really come on in Johnson's absence. He transferred to UCLA, claimed the position, and been pretty steady. The, the trouble I have is that, again, what he doesn't give them is he doesn't give them a post-scoring option. So he gets his points, at putbacks, um, you know, occasionally a transition opportunity maybe, um, you know, facing up. It, it's not, it's not hey, set him up on the block, dump the ball into him, and let him go to work. He doesn't do that a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something this team could use because, again, when you're struggling offensively, you can't shoot jumpers the way this team can't. Well, you'd like to have somebody semi-reliable in the post. So good year from him, definite progress, um, but he's not all the way there yet, mm-hmm. offensively at least. Uh, so then off the bench, Andre Hyatt, 6'6", 230-pound sophomore transfer from LSU. Um, it looks like he may, may be the guy to replace Harper Jr. eventually. Um, 5.2 points a game, 36, 26, and 60. Uh, three rebounds in 15 minutes. Yeah, I, you know, the, that bit about eventually inheriting Ron Harper's spot is because he has got some similarities in that he's a an undersized guy who nevertheless is strong enough, athletic enough to hang in there at the four. They think he's got perimeter skills, maybe like Harper earlier in his career. He hasn't quite unlocked the jumper fully yet, mm-hmm. but he's got potential. He's one guy for sure in this rotation of guys we're on clear as to how much they're going to play Hyatt is a guy who's going to play he plays a significant role for them off the bench uh, and eventually I think will be a starter there mm-hmm. um, this year the limiter has been he hasn't been able to consistently hit the jumper but he can do damage with his his body and his athleticism around the basket especially yeah uh, and then Mawak Mog Six eight sophomore, three point eight points a game, two point four rebounds, uh, forty from the floor, thirty three and seventy eight. He's a guy they like, um, and and Pico has recruited guys like this before. He likes longer wings, mm-hmm. and that's what Mott is in the long run. I think a uh, decent shooter, good length and size, uh, could play the four at times too, but he's not particularly strong, so probably better suited to be a, a taller three man. Um, but he he's the other guy who I'm reasonably certain we'll see. And then after him, we enter the unknown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, then Jalen Miller, 6'2", freshman point guard. has uh, been seeing a little bit more time lately, but he's only averaging 1.1 points a game, 40 from the floor, 75% at the line. It has only taken one three that he missed. Yeah, when he was uh, signed, the first thing they said about him is they really thought he had the potential – to get it defensively right away. And I think that's part of why he's been playing more recently. Uh, hasn't done much offensively, but as, as noted, his minutes have gone up of late. Um, I think he played like nine minutes in their last game against Northwestern. So there's a chance we'll see him kind of give Mulcahy and Baker rest in that guard rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Dean Reber, 6'10", sophomore, uh, Reber's averaging 2.5 points a game, 1.2 rebounds in seven minutes, um, 49 from the floor, 40, 50 from three, but only four attempts, 44 from the line. I, I like him. In in limited viewing, I like him. Uh, I think he is a guy 
who has the potential to be a stretch big for them. And they've got a few guys who fit that profile. And this is where it gets unclear, though, because it's really varied from game to game who gets more minutes and gets a, a, a bigger turn. Uh, Reber is, is a guy, though, that I've seen play pretty decent basketball this season. I do think he's got potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Oscar Palmquist, 6'8", 230-pound sophomore, um, he played 10 minutes against Northwestern, but he's only averaging 1.7 points, just under a rebound a game, 41, 46, and 50 from the line. Yeah, limited volume, but he's 5 for 11 on threes for the year. Again, another guy, game to game, who knows? Is it going to be Reber? Is it going to be him? Is it going to be both of them? You just don't know. But again, there is potential there to be a guy with some size who can go get a rebound can defend them in the post and yet on offense can step away and stretch a defense. That's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Jaden Jones, 6'8", 220 pound freshman. Um, he only got two minutes against Northwestern, but he averages 11 on the season. Um, 3.9 points a game, 1.3 rebounds, 36, 23 and 70. He's the guy who's seen his minutes decline lately. And, and he was a highly regarded recruit. He was a kid who I believe joined the team, at the semester break last year. I don't think he played much, if at all, so he still technically got freshman eligibility. This is the first year he's seen extended minutes. But as noted, that role has decreased lately, and I think it's in part because they just haven't been able to get any offense out of him. Yeah. He can't shoot. Some of these other guys have proved to be better shooters. Uh, and then Ralph gonzalez Agui, 6'8", 250-pound <clears throat> transfer from San Jose State. 2.2 points a game, 1.1 rebounds in eight minutes. Yeah, big body. Um, he's a veteran, a grad transfer. Um, again, the playing time kind of inconsistent. I think it's around eight or nine minutes, but he's not played in six games. Mm-hmm. So is he going to see time? It's, it's just hard to know. Yeah. Uh, he's forty or 52 from the floor, 64 from the line. So, yeah, he's not a three-point threat as some of these other guys are. Yeah. Well, that's likely all we'll see. Um, the keys, Rod, threes. Yeah, as as I mentioned, primarily I'm talking about Michigan State here, and this has been a theme lately. Uh, it's important for MSU, obviously. You know, it's a big part of their offense. Uh, not that they take a boatload of threes but that they be efficient in the ones they do take. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it tends to go, if this team is struggling from three, uh, it's hard to imagine that they're going to have a great day offensively. Yeah. Uh, they don't have enough other things to turn to to make up for that if they really struggle. Uh, Rutgers gives up a lot of threes. They give up a strong percentage of made threes by opponents. The opportunity should be there. Now, Rutgers may alter some things. They may decide to press up, play a higher line, and and try to limit Michigan State that way. But uh, regardless, MSU's got to be productive shooting the ball because I, I don't think it's going to be easy to run. So I think transition points are going to be at a minimum. Um, and, you know, uh, scoring at the rim is – kind of an inconsistent thing for Michigan State. Mm-hmm. So it's important that they shoot the way they're capable of shooting. 
Uh, and then defensive boards is the second key. Well, it's same old, same old. We've been beating this drum for a month. Uh, and, you know, the Maryland game was an example. This Maryland didn't have the outrageous performance that we've seen on a few occasions, but it was still too much. Mm-hmm. You know, they had 10 offensive rebounds, but it was about a 35% offensive rebounding rate. That's way too high. That's five, six percentage points higher than it can be mm-hmm. to say that you've done a decent job. We talked about this is not a vintage Pikel team in terms of offensive rebounding, but Michigan State hasn't really been playing great offensive rebounding, rebounding teams lately, and they've been struggling. So they have to do the job. They have to get back to that gang rebounding mentality and, and secure those defensive boards against an opponent that really struggles to shoot well. The last thing you want to do is give them second and third chances at the basket. Mm-hmm. Make them turn them into a one and done outfit. Uh, and then turnovers. You know, again, they're not good either, but you know, we know where MSU is. MSU kind of in the last game against Maryland, kind of the reverse of what we've typically seen, where they had a really good first half, a less good second half. The overall total was not bad. I think it was 11. Um, but it goes hand-in-hand with the rebounding. You don't want to give a poor shooting opponent more chances to score than you get. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then physicality against this team. I I think it's important because I think that Rutgers, especially in that building, this is is a tough, you know, maybe doesn't get the, the respect that it's due. I think it's a tough environment. They're it's a smaller building. Their crowds seem lively every time. I Even this year, they've been good when I've seen them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a tough environment to play in, and, and that's probably going to equate to this Rutgers team playing with a, with a heightened sense of um, effort and energy, which will probably also translate into physicality. So Michigan State's got to be willing to match that. Even if it's not a vintage Rutgers team in terms of their defense and their rebounding, they're still, they've still got a lot of guys who will be physical out there. I mean, Omarui, Harper, these guys are physical. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the guys off the bench have big bodies. They're going to be physical. So MSU's got to find a way to match that. You know, that's gonna, I don't think we're going to be able to come out of this game saying, well, Michigan State won, but they really didn't match Rutgers' physicality and their energy their toughness you know i think they're gonna have to do that and michigan state's not really sneaking up on people anymore i mean it looked like maryland was a little bit more jacked for that game it's than... it, yeah it's a good point in terms of what that crowd is likely to be like and, and what Rutgers' energy level will likely be like early on and you know and and here's the thing it's one thing for you and i to sit here and talk about how look the season's essentially over Mm-hmm. For them, in terms of NCAA tournament hopes, but they don't believe that. Yeah, I'm sure they don't believe that. So they see a Michigan State, whatever they are, 13th in the AP. They see Michigan State coming into town. You know that represents an opportunity, and and I'm sure they don't feel intimidated because let's remember, did they only MSU only play them the one time last year? I think so. And it was at where well, they got just got waxed at Breslin. Yeah. Um. 
just got absolutely destroyed. So these guys don't come into this game, I would think, fearing Michigan State or being awed by them. I don't think under Pico, I don't think Rutgers has ever played that way anyway. Even when they were severely out-talented, they really competed against MSU. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can remember, especially in this building, you can remember some games that were way closer than anybody thought they would be. Yeah, they actually they beat Michigan State in the Breslin 68-45, and then Michigan State came back about That's a month right. later and beat them at the rack 67-37. to That's right. I'd forgotten about that. Last season, such a forgettable year in so many ways. But that's right. I just, I have the, the one that sticks in my memory is when they got bombed. Mm-hmm. I still think the point holds, though. I don't yeah. think that this group of players feels like, oh, my God, Michigan State's coming to town. Yeah. You know, I think they, they believe. And so you can you can expect that they're going to. They're going to bring maximum effort, mm-hmm. at least at least at the start. Yeah, uh, and then the fifth key is Gabe Brown. Yeah, uh, it's time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got to get himself back on track as a shooter. You know, they they need him. He's been find another way. I think he's been pretty good the last couple games defensively. Um. You know, he's gotten loose to score in some other ways at times. But the bottom line is the single best thing Gabe Brown does is shoot the jumper. Mm -hmm. It's always been the case. And they need him to get back to being a reliable shooter. Something's been off. You know, we talked about it in the postgame Maryland. uh, And it was something broadcasters noticed. His shot has been flatter lately. I think that's a fair criticism. Not sure why. Uh, you know, obviously it's something to do with the mechanics, but I'm not sure why he's having an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's just got to get back to being who Gabe Brown is. And, and the offense needs that. You know, we, they, they need, we don't need Gabe going out scoring 18 or 20 every night, but they do need that 10, 13, 14. They need that Gabe Brown who's hitting threes, forcing the defense to really, um, tilt toward him which which they have been doing and that's been part of the reason he's been struggling mm-hmm. but he's he's just got to find a way to break through they need it they need a good game from him as a shooter okay and he needs it for his confidence yeah all right well this one's saturday four o'clock on fs1 uh any final thoughts heading into this one it's similar to maryland you know you, you go through this discussion you look at some of the stuff and you say well Rutgers is outclassed. You know, Michigan State is just a better basketball team, right? True. But this is the Big Ten. You go on the road, anything can happen unless unless it's a really rare, you know, if you're going to Nebraska, okay. You probably think you ought to come out of there with a relatively easy win. But even that, sometimes it doesn't happen. Mm. But anybody else in the league, I don't care who it is, Everybody else in the league, you're going into their building, you have, there is a strong potential for a fight. Mm-hmm. And, and I, if Maryland has proved positive. I mean, that team over the course of the year has been disconnected, inconsistent, uh, incoherent, all of those things. But on a given night, and especially playing at home, things can be different. And they were different for Maryland on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Almost different enough to get them a win. Yeah. 
So MSU said it before the Maryland game, same thing applies here. If you want to be seriously in it come the end of this month, beginning of March, these are games you need to win because you've got games coming up that, you know, some of them even that are at home, you know, Purdue comes in, Illinois comes in, um, even Wisconsin to a degree, although I don't put them in the same class. Those aren't, even though you're at home, those are not walkovers by mm-hmm. any stretch. I mean, you don't know for sure, and you, you've still got to go to Columbus, you got to go to Ann Arbor. Um, you know, they're Penn State, you know, on the road. There, there are enough games left that could be problems that if you want to really be in it, you need to take care of the ones that everybody looks at and thinks, oh, that's one you should get. Mm-hmm. You got to turn should into did. Yeah. Is, is really what I think it comes down to. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that and get back with everybody after the game. Until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.